This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Pete, you've uh, you've had a bit of a magical mystery tour today, haven't you? Where where do we uh, where where in Europe do we find you at this at this moment in time? Where have you travelled from as well? Because um, uh, uh, we were we were sort of determining a, a time this morning, and you sort of you dropped off the grid for about three hours. Yeah, it was a, a long drive. Started off in um, Cannes. And then in the south of France, and then worked way up through Italy into um, Turin. So climbing a lot of mountains and a lot of windy roads. It took a lot longer than expected. Oh well, we're recording at about four o'clock on um, on on Sunday afternoon. So if if you're in if you're in Italy, Pete, if you listen very very carefully in a few minutes' time, I'm I'm hopeful you will hear the um, the cheer from Rome as uh, as Europe secure the Ryder Cup. So uh, maybe maybe wind the windows down on that van and uh, and see if you can hear the hear the roar that uh, that comes from uh, comes from Rome. Yeah, I think uh, must be a big roar to get up here, but. I'll have a listen. The, atm- the way the atmosphere has been there, I think it will be a big roar. I, I, I really do, because the atmosphere has been absolutely phenomenal. But I'll tell you where else the atmosphere was absolutely phenomenal, Pete, and that was at Deepdale yesterday. Not on, not on three sides. Not on three sides. I'd like to, I'd like to point that out. Um, but without a shadow of a doubt, in the Albion end, the atmosphere was absolutely tremendous, and with good reason, because. We've been doing this pod for it's coming up to two years now. Um, it w- it will be I think it'll be two years in in February actually, so eight, eight, eighteen months something like that. And we haven't had a lot of days where we can sit here and say there there really is nothing to complain about on the pitch. I mean, look, there's an awful lot to complain about off the pitch, but for one week, for one week, we're just going to enjoy ourselves and park that because I don't know about you, Pete, but I don't know what I could possibly have to complain about from yesterday. In that is quite literally the most perfect performance I have seen from an Albion side in years. I really, really do struggle to find much, if any, fault with it. Yeah, I mean, if you were really, really looking to to pick one fault with it, I'd say we didn't. The actual XG that we created wasn't that high, but we were so comfortable in the game that it really doesn't matter. Um, scoring so early and, and taking the, the two-goal lead that the rest of the game, we kind of just controlled it and limited them and, and attacked when we wanted to and, well, and took our chances when we wanted to as well. So, yeah, you can't even really use that as a criticism. Um, 
yeah, pretty much perfect performance. I mean, let's put it in perspective, Pete. I mean, whilst we scored well beyond our XG, I mean, we had an XG of 1.3. I think the more far more significant thing is Preston had an XG of 0.3. But we basically gave them no chances. And most most of that 0.3 came in one bit of a goal mouth scramble midway through the second half. Beyond that, they pretty much created nothing in the whole game. And that's not... And this isn't a bad side, and I think that I think I think that that really needs that really needs pointing out because it's it, it's very easy to to look at a game and go, oh well, you know they, they were poor. I, I think it's I think when when you play so well, it's so easy to look at the opposition and go, they were poor. This is a Preston side that were like at the top end of the league. They had a one hundred percent home record. They hadn't lost a game before yesterday they'd won six and they'd drawn two of their opening eight games and whilst I don't think anybody is going to look at this Preston side and go they're free-flowing they're you know they're total football because that they're not I, I was I was chatting to a, I was actually chatting to a pal of mine and he uh, um, uh, and who's who's a performance analyst and he he compared them to Luton he said they're a bit like this season's Luton and I thought that kind you know that is kind of where they are they they they're a horrible team to play nobody likes to go to deepdale and they they're just they were picking up points they were winning games and we went there and we didn't just we didn't just beat them we annihilated them and we completely and utterly nullified whatever threat they offered yeah i think they said yeah preston were unbeaten before we played them so i mean after what was eight games is now now nine games. It's you know it's obviously a good run of game to be unbeaten. So I don't think you can really argue that they're they're a well, good they're, side. They're still gone third and... after we've stuffed them. Yeah, exactly. So um, and it, four points yeah. clear of Sunderland in fourth. It definitely wasn't an easy team to go and play against. Um, I think they've got a, a quite a long unbeaten record at home as well. So um, potentially even stronger at home. So to go there and beat them four 0 was. Yeah, it wasn't an easy task, but I mean, certainly made it look easy on the day. I know a lot of people from the outside will look, at, a lot of non-West Bromwich Albion people I would like to hope will be the ones who will look at it like this. Maybe some Albion fans will look at it like this. They, Some people will see that result and they will go, where on earth did that result come from? I have to say, Pete, I'm not one of those people by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and to be honest, we kind of... We almost fought, I wouldn't go as far as to say we foreshadowed that on uh, last week's pod because I don't I, uh, I I I knew I had my my tickets uh, for Preston some weeks ago and in my wildest dreams I didn't believe we'd go there and win four nil but we spoke about on last week's pod that in the three games in a row that we drew Bristol City Watford and Millwall we honestly felt we were playing better than we were when we were beating teams like. Middlesbrough and Swansea I felt like there was clear development there from from West Bromwich Albion I thought it was it was obvious that something was being built that Corbram was working towards things 
I know some people have been a little bit frustrated with the start to the season. I, I mean, first of all, I really don't think it's been that bad. But one one win jump, jumps us up to eighth. So we weren't miles off where we should be. I know we were 13th before yesterday's game, but c'est la vie, that is what it is. You know, you, you, some, some teams start quickly, some teams start slowly. We had a really tumultuous summer. Pretty much every player was up for sale. We didn't know who we were keeping. It was really hard for Corbrand to prepare for the season because he he couldn't, he couldn't build a style in the summer because he didn't know which players he would have. He didn't know. He, I mean, even down to the last day, Mark Miles had a meeting with Action for Albion the, the, the other day and Action for Albion released the, the minutes. If you haven't read them, I do encourage you to go and read them. Mark Miles said something very interesting that, that, that they didn't sell the players they thought they would sell on deadline day. So even down to deadline day, Carlos Corbran did not know what players he was working with this season. Now, how you can expect a manager to start a season quickly when those are the circumstances in which he is working. And that's sort of criticism of the club, by the way. Mark Miles couldn't do anything else. Mark Miles has got to play the hand he's dealt. And that hand, unfortunately, is a very, very difficult financial situation. Um, So Mark Miles had to do what was in the best interest of the club. And what was in the best interest of the club was trying to make some money in the January transfer window. So I, I, I completely accept the situation was out of, out of anybody's control. That's with, without question, without any question in my book. But Carlos Corbran was put into a very, very difficult situation. And it does not surprise me for one second that we had a relatively slow start to the season. But I think what was really important that from that slow start that we started to see some positives. Corbran, I think, laid down a marker after the Huddersfield game. He came out after the Huddersfield game and he said, conceding two goals a game is not sustainable. He he said, we've got to cut out the individual mistakes. He also, where there have been individual mistakes in recent games, he has highlighted them. He hasn't let players hide. He highlighted the fact that Alex Palmer made a horrible mistake against Bristol City, which could have cost us a goal. He also highlighted the fact that Semi Ajayi made a bad mistake in the first 30 seconds or so against Watford that ultimately cost us a goal. There's been no hiding place for players. Corbran has laid down a marker in recent weeks. And what's happened as a result of that? OK, we got we got a little bit unfortunate for a few weeks where we weren't getting the results that that we that we deserved i would suggest i think we were the better side against bristol city we were the better side against millwall and whilst it, it's a little bit more debatable i thought overall we were probably just about edged it as the better side against watford although i appreciate there's an argument to the contrary on that one but what we have seen is a solidifying of us as a defensive team that's three clean sheets in four games now and you know, you just see that clear progression under Corbran. He has now worked us to a point where he knows what positions he wants players to play in to to the extent where players are rotating freely and we're still playing well. You know, he he rotated players and slightly tweaked the, the formation again against Preston. And we were phenomenal. We were good against Millwall. And he, he said after the... Um, after the game, he said, my message to the players before the game was keep doing what you've been doing for 
decent portions of games, but just sustain it for 90 minutes. It was, it, he said it was a very, very simple message that we just, we just, all we need to do is take the second half against Bristol City, the second half against Millwall, and just sustain that for 90 minutes. We know we can do it because we've done it for 45 and 45, but let's just do that for a whole game and we'll be absolutely fine. And it's just, I think a lot of what Carlos Corbran does is really, really complex. And the level of detail he gets into players is probably certainly too much for my brain, Pete, maybe even too much for, for yours at times, because we don't play the game to uh, to anywhere near the kind of level that these guys do. But I think in the end, before Preston, I think the message was really simple. You've done the hard work, lads. You know how to play this way. You know how to do what I want you to do. Just go and do it for 90 minutes. And for me, Pete, coming back to my original point, that result, that hiding for someone, that was coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fact that we're three clean sheets out of four now is um, really impressive. It's kind of back to what we started as when Corbran first came in. We were extremely, extremely solid defensively and you know, we'd often get a goal or two as well. So, but the defense seemed to be the, kind of, you know, the foundation of it. And when we went on that really good um, run of form just after he came in, um, so it's it's good to see that that's back. The other thing is that we saying that we're s- slow starters. It was kind of the well, it was the opposite against Preston. We got the the early goal, well, very early goal, and then maybe it settled the nerves or something because obviously we've been poor away from home. But to get that goal in four minutes and then. It's kind of the opposite of what we've been seeing recently, and and we've obviously kicked on from there. So it might, well, it might show that it plays a very big role if um, we get that goal early on, and then we can kind of kick on from there. Well, I think it does, Pete. I think that I think that gets underestimated by fans, doesn't it? That, that, that when the longer you go without that goal, especially when you're not winning regularly as well, I think when I think as you you sort of mentioned the run there, I think. During that run, I think there was probably a level of belief that sooner or later the goal would come because we're winning 1-0 every week, especially at home. But when we've had a relatively average start to the season, I think when that goal doesn't come, when it, when, when, and I mean, also you, you, you only leave yourself sort of half the time to get the goal when you only play well for 45 minutes against Bristol City and 45 minutes against Millwall then i think the players get nervous don't they? they 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 get a little bit on edge and 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 maybe that maybe that results in us missing some of the chances that we've missed in recent weeks because let's be honest whatever whatever we want to say about the data and and everything like that and the and the xg and the and the post shot expected goals and um you know uh, brandon's finishing prowess in fact most of our players finishing prowess from last season the majority of whom underscored their xg the reality is you you play that second 45 minutes against Bristol City and that second 45 minutes against against Millwall 10 times and we probably win 9 of them it's just i think i think players get get nervous and and the furlong goal settled us down massively didn't it and i think i don't think that can be underestimated yeah and it was a a really good goal at that as well i mean the two of the other three we definitely got a bit lucky with um the deflection for Moitz. For it to after Swift over hit the pass and then it fell back into a mo to Moat's pass path. Um bit of luck there and then the deflection for, for Matty Phillips's goal as well. But the first goal was really well worked and 
I mean, it was brilliant from everyone involved. Um, the little flick from Swift to play back to Phillips and then Phillips's way to pass and hitting it so flat and clean across the surface that Furlong could hit it first time. Um, it was, yeah, an absolutely perfect pass from him and a great finish from Furlong as well. And he'd managed to find the space there after tucking in whilst attacking. And so, yeah, I think on basically everyone's part, it was, um, yeah, an almost perfect goal. That flick from Swift, the only word to describe it is sublime, isn't it? Yeah, to to wait that perfectly and on the run off the off his heel and to know that Phillips was cutting in there, it's, yeah, unbelievable. It kind of looked like it was one of those where it, Phillips had played the pass, Swift didn't know anything about it and it just hit his heel and luckily came back to him. But yeah, it definitely wasn't. Not the pass of the match, though, and we will come to that in a, in a short while. But I, I want to, um, I, I just want to dwell on Furlong a little bit. I said we weren't going to do negatives in this pod, but I am just going to, I'm just going to give a little nod to, oh, why can't he, why can't he hit the ball like that more often? Because we've seen it a few times. I think it was Newcastle in the Premier League where he hit that one on the run and it absolutely whistled in. And he does, he does get into good positions, doesn't he, Darnell? But like. Just you know, do it more often because I, I, I think I think he is a lovely, lovely striker of a football, Donna. In fact, I actually think both of our fullbacks are lovely strikers of a football. I don't know whether it's a little bit of a lack of composure on uh, on, on on occasions. I think it probably is. I think it's probably just unfamiliarity of being in those positions. But I I I, I really do think Darnell Furlong should, especially now that he's been, seems to have been given a bit more license under Corbrand to get forward and get a little bit narrower as well. That I I think he should probably score more goals than he does. What do you think? I think he definitely should at the at the back post when crosses go across the face of goal and um end up at that back post and Furlong's quite often there. I can't remember who it was against, but it was in the recent games there was one to him and he just he just didn't connect with it at the back post when he should have tapped it in, but. From the edge of the box, that's where I think it was all about the the way of pass from from Phillips to lay it into his path because I think there's been a couple of them and not just to Furlong to other players as well where they've been in space to hit it first time on the edge of the box and it would have been a decent chance but the pass has either got too much pace on it you know it's passed with a little bit of a bubble and it's just not quite right to be able to hit it cleanly first time I think when the pass is that perfect from Phillips it it almost had to be hit first time and well. Yeah, he hit it perfectly, you know, had power, had accuracy and um, it was a great finish for him. I thought he just overall, though, Pete, was just absolutely brilliant. I really did. I thought he was, I, I thought he was outstanding, Darnell Furlong. I thought uh, I thought the way he linked up, particularly in that first half with, with Grady D and Garner down that right-hand side, I didn't think Preston could live with the pair of them in any way, shape or form. I thought, uh, you, look at, you look at Darnell's data and his average touch position for the ball is, it's, it's level with Matt Phillips. It's on the halfway line. He's so high, but then how hard he worked to get back. And this goes to Phillips as well. In fact, I'm going to bundle Phillips and Furlong together a little bit here because I thought they were both phenomenal. And I thought what they did was really, really difficult. I thought it was challenging physically as much as anything that, what 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 I uh, I had a little little conversation with somebody on on one of the WhatsApp groups because somebody somebody messaged me saying, you know, nice to see a switch to a four, and I said we're, we're playing both, we're playing a four and a three here because when we had the ball it was 
it was definitely four at the back with uh, with with the um with the with the wide men flying forward um it, well particularly with with furlong in fact it it wasn't it you know it, we we were not really leaving anyone back you look at the average positions and peters and kipre were were getting forward almost as high as Yukoslu. And it was it was like Bartley was pretty much your man at the back. And everyone, when we lost the ball, everyone was just having to recover into position and work really hard. The only one who was really sort of like just sitting in there was Carl Bartley, who was playing like an old school sweeper, Pete. And then, but you've, you've got the work ethic of Peters and Kipre to sort of spread and give, uh, and give that width when uh, when we got the ball. But having the discipline when we hadn't got the ball to tuck in, and you've got Furlong and and Phillips having the discipline to get deeper, but they were also going high for goal kicks because it was noticeable that um, I think seventeen out of twenty four of Alex Palmer's kicks went long. Now that's unusual. We normally try to play short out from the back, but Preston were obviously we knew they were going to press us, and we knew that they actually are quite a good pressing side. Preston they work extremely hard. And I think, I think Corbran was mindful of the fact that we could get ourselves into trouble with, uh, with if if we played out from the, from the back, and so he went long, and he went long without any target because Jed Wallace is not a target man. Nobody nobody thinks he is, but he went long, and you've got Phillips on the one side, and you've got Furlong on the other, trying to challenge the the, the defender and giving them a problem. They weren't winning that many of the actual headers, but what we were doing phenomenally well was winning the second balls in midfield. Moa in particular was picking them up brilliantly. So was Yukoslu. And we were almost like saying, right, you can win the first ball, but you're not going to have it easy. So you're not going to be able to think about where you want to put this ball. And then we're going to win the second ball. And then we're going to build from there. And then you're going to have a problem because our two wide men are high. Our two wide centre halves are giving us options. We've got players... In midfield, Moat going box to box, Swift getting forward, Wallace showing no end of energy. Grady was playing absolutely anywhere. And I think the point I'm I'm making here is that the work ethic from the players, the buy-in of what Corbran asked them to do was fantastic. But here's the big thing, and I want to make this very, very clear. It isn't about four four two. It's not about five. uh, uh, You know, it's it's not about um, uh, five three uh, one one. uh, 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 No, I've put too many. Yeah, uh, uh, or or anything uh, anything like that. I have put too many players on on that pitch there. But you know what I mean. Uh, It's not about. uh, It's not about what what people consider to be basic formations. It's about tactical intelligence and that's probably why this has taken a little bit of time to come together because the level of tactical intelligence from the players during that game furlong was unbelievable understanding when to get back and make a five when to tuck in phillips was brilliant and the the amount of commitment uh, to to show the energy to get uh, to to actually get up and down Moat to understand where the ball was going to drop, to get in and around it, and then to get us going. And uh, for the players to be making such good movement ahead of them. I mean, we'll come on to Wallace, and I want to talk about him in a little bit more depth. But the way he played that nine position was brilliant. Absolutely phenomenal. And Grady just popping up absolutely everywhere. But it wasn't it wasn't brainless. 
it was intelligent. I don't think I, I I don't think I've seen that level of tactical understanding from West Bromwich Albion side since Roy Hodgson. And I don't think I've seen that level of tactical flexibility from West Bromwich Albion side ever, Pete. I don't know what you think. Yeah, with the formation, I agree with you. It's definitely um, far that that's when we're defending. Um, but then Furlong and Phillips had very different roles. Whenever we got the ball back, Phillips straight away was just bombing on to kind of move it into more of a 4-3-3 or 4-4-2, whatever you want to call it, but a back four with Phillips pushed on as a, an attacking player. Whereas I think Furlong kind of moved up a lot later after we'd already moved into the attacking third and then Furlong can then go up and join, uh, join the attack. Um, and again, with, with Phillips, he was often the wide man. Um, whereas with Furlong, I think when we were building up a lot of the time, he was tucking in, um, kind of inverting, maybe not even getting involved with the play that much, but kind of dragging, maybe dragging fullbacks or wingers inside the follow him and then creating the space out wide for Grady. Um, but yeah, he wasn't always inverted. Like a lot of his passes are actually made from from wide positions, but quite often he was taking up this this position on the inside. Um, so that yeah, it goes back to the, the flexibility. It's the widest I've seen there. Phillips be for us for a while, Pete. Because um, since Corbrand's come in, Corbrand's kind of liked him to tuck in a bit, hasn't he? Well, yeah, with Phillips, it was um, he was playing very similar to how he did when Corbrand first took over as the left winger. Um, because yeah, as soon as we got that ball, he was he was getting forward and and kind of filling that role that he used to play under Corbran. Um, but when we lost the ball, he'd, he'd help form that back that back five. So maybe Corbran wanted to go back to what he started with with Phillips that was so successful, um, and he managed to do that in possession whilst also having the defensive stability of, a, of the back five out of possession. So I think it quite worked worked quite well, and um, also just kind of baiting the press of Preston because as you say that they. they we're looking to press, and um, we we're quite happy for them to do that, and then and then go long. And um, I mean, that's the I think that's what what happened when um, Palmer played that ball through to through to Grady for you know across about two thirds of the pitch. So um, it seemed to be you know a tactic that were kind of planned, and and it definitely definitely worked in the game. Is this something that Albion fans? just need to get a little bit used to because it's not some as i say we haven't we, i don't think we've seen this level of tax, tactical flexibility from an albion side ever but i honestly believe corbrand's approach he does i don't think this is like the opposite of valball where you knew exactly how we were going to set up pretty much every week you knew what subs he was going to make on the hour it was it was all pretty predictable i think this is the opposite i think that Albion fans need to get used to the fact that Carlos Corbran is going to try and beat the team that's in front of him. And I know that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but it's not because because, because people look at our people look at football fans generally look at their own team and they pick the 11 based on the 11 best players that they think that they have got as a team. When they when they say these, this is the eleven I'd like to see us play uh, play today. It's the it's the eleven guys that they think are the best. It's not they don't look at the opposition and go right. What are they going to do? So who do who do we who who do we go who do we pick that will nullify the opposition? I think every week is going to be like a chess match between Corbran and the opposition manager, and I think generally speaking. Corbran backs himself 
to outthink the majority of managers in this division. And you know what, Pete? I back him to do that as well because I, I think I think he got done by the wily old fox after Huddersfield. I uh, I, I said that at the time, and I, and that is occasionally go, uh, going to happen. And maybe where a manager with some tactical acumen, but better players than Corbran. I'm thinking probably Maresca at Leicester here. He might get one over on Corbran. But I think where Corbran sets his team up to really, just basically to say, right, I know how you're going to play. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy that. I am going to, I'm going to set my team up to be the antithesis of what you do and to stop everything that you want to do and to exploit every weakness that you have. And again, it sounds like a really obvious thing to do, but it's not something all managers do. Some managers put their best 11 players out on the field and hope that's that's enough to win a football match. And they don't worry about the opposition, which is why some managers play the same 11 players every week. I think we will see, regularly see, Corbran change his side up. I think he'll change it Re- regardless of that brilliant 4-0 win on Saturday. I think he'll change the side for Tuesday against against Sheffield Wednesday. I think Sarmiento, Sarmiento will come back in. I'm not sure Bartley will play at the back. I think I, I, I think he will change it. And I think we just need to get used to that. I think we need to get out of this mindset where we think that because a player doesn't start, it's some sort of a negative reflection on their performances or it's some sort of punishment. It's not. It's just Corbran taking every game as it comes. And I called the I called last week's pod Horses for Courses. And I honestly believe that is the approach that Corbran will take week in, week out. And I think that's what he did to I think that's what he did to Ryan Lowe. He looked at Ryan Lowe's football and said, Right, what what has brought you so much success? How can I pour water on your fire? And he did it perfectly. And I personally think we have got one of, if not the best tactical manager in this division. And if if he's going to do that every week, as long as he has sufficient quality players available to him, I back him to get the best, the better of the majority of managers in this league. What do you say, Pete? Yeah, I think we've got kind of a few different approaches sorted out and we can kind of change between them in, in games. Um, like against Preston, we were pressing a lot higher than maybe we did before and also kind of allowing Preston to press us and then going long and trying to isolate the defenders that way. Um, but I think we're also quite comfortable at times in playing out from the back and, and not having to go long all the time. And then also being able to sit down, sit back into a bit of a deeper block and, and not pressing so high. And I, I think kind of the mixture of the things that we've done throughout the season is allows us to go into games and, and decide what approach is best for each game. And also the, um, the players that we've got have got it's not like the replacements that we've got on the bench are like <clears throat> like for like replacements. A lot of them have got different different qualities. Where if you want to take a different approach, then you can bring them in and and change the starting eleven or or make the subs. You sub also to bring think them in. the players that we've got, Pete, are, are learning a heck of a lot from Corbran to the point where they are becoming tactically intelli- more intelligent in games and are therefore able to adapt themselves in games because he's taught them so many different things that that they can see a game going a certain way and they can that that, that they can react in game because that's not something again that all squads can do. Yeah, you'd hope so and you'd think the more that the more game talent they get under Corbran, the more that they'll learn and be able to 
you know, kind of take some of those decisions into their own hands and maybe see it or feel it a bit more early, a bit earlier than than the manager will on the sidelines. So it's one of those things where you think, well, you hope that as we go deeper into the season, then you'll start to see it even more and we'll benefit from it even more um, and hopefully grow stronger because of um, the amount of, well, information that Corbrand seems to give, get across to his players. One thing that did seem a little bit of a shift from the norm with Carlos Corbrand, Pete, was that... We didn't stop. Like it, it, we we were we were pretty we were pretty relentless, really. I mean, as you say, we started strong, which which is unusual. It took them twenty five minutes to have a shot, um, by which point we'd had six, which is unusual for us. Um, I, but I mean, in the second half, when you'd have expected them to have come on strong, they only had. They had a flurry of shots in one attack. So they effectively had one attack that threatened us with shots in the whole second half. We had 13 shots at 2-0 or beyond. I mean, we only really stopped peppering their goal and peppering them with attacks when the third went in. Now, this isn't something that previously we've associated with core brand teams. And maybe it's somewhere where, Pete, we've... We've perhaps offered a little bit of criticism because while we were winning a lot of games one nil last season, I think I think we both recognise that in the long term, unless you are unbelievably organised defensively, that is that 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 probably isn't that sustainable. We we've perhaps not killed teams off in the way that we're capable of. We've tried to sit on leads. A little bit, and occasionally it's come and bit bitterness. I'm, you know, I'm thinking of obviously the the late equaliser against Blackburn as a, as a good example of that it, this last season um, at the Hawthorns. Uh, we didn't stop. We were relentless against against Preston until until the third went in, which you could tell completely took all of the jam out of their donut. You know, that was it was job done at the at, at that point. I I don't necessarily associate that with a core brand side, but I loved it. I loved that aspect of our play on Saturday because they, we just didn't let them breathe, did we? Yeah, and I can't say I was um, completely confident we we're going to go on to win it at half time when we were tuning up because so many times in games we've kind of let off once we got the lead and let opposition back into it. But after half time, we we went on and, and still looked the stronger side in the second half, um, and obviously went on and got another two goals. But we seem to have improved there, and I mean, it probably helps having people like Jason Mullumby when coming off the bench, who you know they're going to come on, and no matter what the score is, they're going to give a hundred percent and drag everyone else to make sure they're given a hundred percent at the same time and demand it of them. So, um, I imagine that substitution helped, but also the other ones came, the other players that came on came on and had a good game and. And we just, it didn't look like we'd kind of changed things after we'd made substitutions, which it had in previous games. Um, we kind of just seemed to keep on going and, and keep on dominating the game all the way through for the, the 90 minutes, which is obviously very promising. Away days are great. There's nothing quite like playing at home, especially with Albion's home record under Carlos Corbran. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I said before to you, Pete, that um, 
Swift's flick against um, uh, for the for the first goal was sublime, but that it was not the pass of the match. Um, you, I know you've already mentioned it, but um, uh, take a wild stab in the dark as to what I'm referring to. I guess the uh, the long pass from Alex Palmer through to through to Dan Garner that went about two thirds, three quarters of the pitch. I mean, uh, this is a data podcast, Pete. And we, you know, we, you and I are both fans of the data, but it is absolutely criminal that that pass does not get any credit, really, in that in the data for for that for that goal. Um, uh, I think Claire Wheeler on uh, on uh, on Twitter um, uh, X uh, tweet, tweeted me saying it should be counted as as a special assist, um, and. You're the data man, Pete. I think I think it's on you to uh, create its own category for that because it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, it probably would have been quite a high expected th- expected threat to move it from his own box into the the final third of the pitch. So um, might show up in that, but you know, goalkeepers don't usually go down as as having a high expected threat. No, absolutely not. But I mean, it was a brilliant ball. But then. Grady from there obviously played a big part in the goal, and I think I think we've got to I think we've got to dwell on on Grady um, just just a moment because that is two games in a row now, barring sort of the first fifteen minutes maybe against against Millwall, where he's just been unplayable. I think is the best word to describe him. Now he had five touches in the attacking penalty area. No one else on the pitch had more than two. I mean, they just couldn't live with him. He had 109 yards progressive uh, progressive distance as well, Pete. 40 yards more than any other West Bromwich Albion player. He drove us up the pitch. His uh, touch map suggests he played centrally. He didn't. It's just because he he drifted out to the left and out to the right and touched the ball on both sides of the pitch so much that it evens out as uh, as he as as his most of his touches were central. Um, he was everywhere. He was playing with attacking intelligence he's he's had he's had a hand in a couple of goals as well I just thought he was absolutely terrifying and uh, I mean uh, that for anybody who hasn't seen it the 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 video is is on is on my uh, on my ex um at cj hall 83 if you if you want to have a look I, I actually filmed Grady as he came over to the fans at the end and uh and, and he kind of did the 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 three cheers thing that they do on the on the continent um a lot and he's just a walking smile I mean I I know I'm sort of falling back in love with him as a West Bromwich Albion player, Pete. But I think, I feel like he's falling back in love with playing for the club. And that's not necessarily always been the case with, uh, with with Grady, but it's not just that he's playing well. He just seems, and he's playing more than well, by the way, he's playing phenomenally well. And I know people are saying that, uh, oh, he's playing for a move. Well, as we said last week, if he is, he is, and that's and that's fine because if he makes the club a load of money in January, it will be very, very welcome given our current financial plight. I don't think that's the case. I just, I just see a guy who's having fun again, and while uh, and and now he's enjoying himself. I feel like his talent has just took over, and it's just turning itself into into brilliant performances. And also on top of that. You've got a really, really intelligent manager who has sat down and he's he knows he's got this wonderful, wonderful talent on his hands. I mean, I personally think he's got a few. I think he's got him. I think he's got Swift and I think he's got Sarmiento. And he's working out how to get the very best out of these players. 
and I think he I think we're still a little bit of a way off seeing the best of Sarmiento, but I think we will at some point this season. I think he I I think he after an iffy start, I think he he, he lit a fire under uh, under John Swift's backside um after he dropped him for the first game of the season. And I think we've seen the best of John Swift since then. And I think on Grady in the last two games, we've we've just we've just seen that Corbrand's worked him out and he's kind of he's got the keys to Grady now and uh, and I and Grady just seems to be absolutely loving every minute of it Pete and I I think I think that gets understated sometimes I think the mental aspect of football gets understated I think people because players are paid whatever they're paid that fans expect them to go out and perform and it's like Yes, they're being paid a lot of money to go and do this, but it doesn't mean it, if you're not happy, you're not happy. It doesn't matter what money's in your bank account. It's really, it, it it's hard to do your best if you are if you're not enjoying going to work every day. We've all been there. Everybody's had a job where, which which at one time or another hasn't made them as happy as it as it would. And we all we all know that when when we feel like that, we don't probably don't do our best work. And on the flip side, when you are loving your job you probably do do your best work. And I think Grady is loving his job at the moment. And as a result, I think he's doing his best work. Yeah. The reaction after the, after the game towards the fans, I think shows you that he's, he's loving it again. And um, <clears throat> he looks confident on the pitch and yeah, like you say, he looks like he's enjoying it on the pitch. And I think when you've got a player with that much talent, that if they can just kind of, if they're enjoying themselves and they're confident, they you know that naturally they're just going to be better than a lot of the other players in the division. So if you can kind of get that confidence and enjoyment back into the game, then you're going to get the best out of them. Um, and it seems like whatever Corbin's done or whatever's happened behind the scenes, he's he's looking like he's enjoying it again and and looks like he's getting back to his best. And I mean, if he does, then um, it's brilliant for Albion in terms of performances on the pitch. Um, Paul Brand seems to understand players, though, doesn't he? I mean, because Val, I think we had a problem. Uh, I think we had a problem with this. I think Steve Bruce was a nice guy, but he didn't seem to understand players from a tactical point of view, didn't really seem to know quite what to do with them. He just seemed to think if he had enough talented players and put them out on the pitch, they'd get him a result. I think I think Val understood tactics, but I don't think he understood people. I feel like we've got the best of both worlds with Corbrand. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I mean, even with, with Val, I don't know if it was not understanding people or just maybe being promised a longer term than he had, and and he was just trying to, you know, turn over the squad into to have to bring in players that he wanted and would get on with him and, and get rid of players that he was going to fall out with. But um, Corbrand seems to, yeah, he seems to understand. Um, obviously, understands tactics, and he seems to be getting the best out of every player, and no player seems unhappy. Um, because they're not, it's not just a set start and eleven. Each player's getting their chance, and it seems to be that every player that gets rotated in is is taking the chance and making it even more difficult to to choose the start and eleven each game. What does that? Because there was quotes from uh, Corbran in the week where he said um, that he was actually going to rest Brandon against Millwall, but Jed Wallace came to him and said because Jed was going to play in the nine against Millwall, not against Preston and Jed came to him and said no I think I, I think Brandon's playing well I think this is a good game for Brandon play Brandon that surely doesn't happen unless you've got a really really good squad ethos but also that that surely doesn't happen if you haven't got trust in the manager to put you back in because 
because you don't do that if you think if Brandon has a good game here, I'm never going to get a chance. You, you've got to have a lot. You've got to have a lot of. There's got to be a lot of mutual trust goes on for Jed Wallace to have that conversation. Yeah, and, um, definitely seems to be, and he obviously seems to be <clears throat> a great person, personality to have as well in the club and as captain. Um, but I think to be fair to Jed, but he came in, played Trikun, and had a, a very good game against Preston. Um, obviously not a natural position, but um, the work that he put in up there, making runs. Um, very often not actually receiving the pass, but kind of just keeping the centre-backs busy and dragging them out of position and creating space for others. Um, I think he did a really good job with. Um, and it might it might have helped him the fact that in other games, even when he's been playing as maybe part of the front threes, he's had to play very narrow and quite often with his back to goal. It might have actually helped him when he's been required, now that he's been required to actually play as a, a sole number nine um, that he's got not experience to play in that role, but a bit more experience kind of playing in those areas earlier on in the season, even if not as an actual striker. So I think he came in and, and had a good game. So yeah, maybe maybe he shouldn't have been putting himself down and saying Brandon's the natural striker. He should be um, definitely starting. Well, I think I think we all blinked an eye a little bit when we read those quotes from Corbran because outside of the fact that Jed had uh, had had sacrificed himself for for the team. I think the other thing that was really that you immediately took away from those quotes is okay. So Jed's Jed's the next choice, number nine, is he? So it wasn't a massive surprise when he played there against Preston, but I, I don't think we necessarily all knew what we could expect from him. I mean, we shouldn't have worried, he, as you say, Pete. He was absolutely phenomenal. I. <laughs> it made me chuckle a little bit because, uh, as as anybody who's seen the tweet, the, the tweet that the, uh, the 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 pod account put out, um, I was in the stands. Um, I was uh, on ITV um, celebrating quite uh, quite vociferously um, at the at the second at the second goal. I really I really do need to find something um, uh, a li- a little bit less um, obvious to pick out than that feeler hat I've got to to wear to be honest with you you can you, you're going to pick me out of a lineup wearing that thing but um I I, I the, the, there was a moment towards the end of the game where um Jed went to in fact it might have been when we won the free kick that, that resulted in the fourth goal Jed went to go down the line and he tried to go past the, the defender and he sort of pushed the ball and then didn't quite have enough in the tank to get there and the uh, bloke behind me went Come on, Jed. And I thought, he's ran his heart out for 90 minutes. He's been phenomenal. I can't believe how much he had in the tank. He worked and he worked and he worked. He was unreal. The the amount of energy that he put in. And okay, he didn't... I mean, he had that one shot right on half-time where which he, he unfortunately got forced a little bit wide and it was a good shot. But... Other than that, he wasn't a massive goal threat. But what was huge was how he led the press, Pete, because a big, big part of our play on Saturday was how much we actually won the ball back. And that a lot of that started with Jed. He did not give their defenders a moment on the ball because, again, you know, you know what? Preston want to do they 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 want they want to play it out from uh, from the back a little bit they want to get it into wide areas and they uh, and and they uh, and they want to get balls into the box and we just didn't let them start what the anything that they wanted to do it was 
again, the instruction was clearly there from Corbran, but the execution from Jed was a masterclass. And I have to, uh, you know, I know he's coming for some stick this season, and rightly so, because he has not been at the level that we've expected of him. I, you can't fault him one little bit on on Saturday. I thought he was. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. The work rate was brilliant. He ran it. He, he, his movement to move players around and create spaces for the likes of Swift and Dean Garner and Phillips to drop into was was absolutely fantastic. I thought the intelligence of his play overall was brilliant, but the energy of it was was what really struck me. Yeah, energy in and out of possession as well. Um, you know, I mentioned them making runs in behind and dragging defenders about and kind of being non-stop like that. But yeah, like you say, also the pressing and leading the press and, well, the amount of times that we won the ball high up the pitch and off their, their centre-backs kind of says it all. And, and Jed was a, a really important part in that. So yeah, I thought it was a very good performance from someone who's is not naturally a striker, um, but looks to be a decent option there um, whilst we wait for the other two to come back from from injury and it also afforded Corbran the opportunity to not put Brandon on at any point because I think we can say I I think it's absolutely nailed on isn't it Pete that Brandon will start against against Sheffield Wednesday and it just allowed Corbran to not even risk him at any point because there was a few people around me saying you know oh Brandon will come on in a minute and I thought actually once we got the third what why why would you bother like what why even risk him I mean geez you you know we we could end up in a in a Matt Phillips against Chesterfield scenario here if you throw him on for 10 minutes what if he pulls up and then we've got no striker and I just uh, I just thought Jed's Jed's work for the team not only helped us on the pitch, but off it in the sense that Brandon got 90 minutes rest, which, let's be honest, he's not going to get a lot of. Yeah, the amount of energy that, that he puts on, Brandon puts in and on the pitch, um, he definitely deserves the rest. And like I said, no point bringing him on whilst we're 3-0 up. You know, you don't want to risk that injury. And I'd have rather seen someone like Tom Fellows come off the bench and get a few minutes where, I mean, he's probably unlikely to get injured. And even if he does, it's not... It's not the kind of loss that Brandon Thomas Sanzi is as our only fit striker. Um, and I think, I think Corbran actually mentioned fellows being um, a potential option, a striker. I think I read in, I think it was one of Joe Chapman's pieces. I think it was the same quotes where, where he said that Jed, um, that, that Jed had asked not to, not to play. He he did. Yeah. He, he definitely named, he named fellows as one of the options he got at, uh, at centre forward. Yeah. And, um, well, as far as I'm aware, he's always been a winger. But if Corbran spotted that, then you know, definitely, definitely be interesting to see how he get on there. As I think everyone wants to see the academy products get in, get first team minutes, and yeah, it could be an interesting one there if we can take a a big lead in the future again, getting him getting minutes up there. Just want to talk about the middle of the park a little bit. Pete, I mean, just just a brief mention: John Swift five key passes again. Although, <laughs> although I'm not I'm not going to do the one sided approach on John Swift. The, one of the few negatives in the game is that one of the worst backpack. Well, I don't even know what it was, but um, volleyed backpass things uh, that, that you've ever seen. Besides that, he was phenomenal. But I mean, what the blooming heck was that? Yeah, I think my stream actually lagged when when he played that. I just remember hearing um I think John Swift football intelligence lagged for a moment as well Pete so maybe the two were connected yeah I just remember hearing AJ and Jez questioning it on on commentary so um yeah I can't say I actually saw that 
not one of his finer moments, but other than that, he was absolutely fantastic. Swift, as we said, the touch for the for the first goal. Which, by the way, I, I need to, I need to quickly mention as well, uh, Pete. We we talked about the furlong strike earlier. That um, that where he takes that strike from has a um, has a, a, an xg of zero point zero six. So basically, once in twenty, does anyone score from there? After Furlong hits it, it has a post-shot expected goals of 0.49. So Furlong uh, turns a 1 in 20 chance into a 1 in 2 chance. I mean, just that is, that's that's some hit really, isn't it? Yeah, couldn't have done much more with it. Kept it low. Um, You know, I think goalkeepers quite often prefer having them high up to save um, low and hard into the bottom corner. So yeah, it's a pretty, pretty perfect finish from him. Besides Swift, though, I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Alex Mower because there's an argument. Uh, I think I, I don't know whether you, I don't know whether you say um, Grady's had two man of the match performances or Mowat's had two man of the match performances, or they share one each. But let me let me put it this way: our man of the match has been one of those two players in the last two games because they've both been unbelievable. I don't I don't think you can separate them to be honest. They uh, in two. I, I, as I say, I maintain that the, the Millwall second half was a really, really, really good performance. It just we just didn't get what we deserved from it, and uh, and then obviously Saturday was a brilliant, brilliant performance. So we really we've we've had uh, what uh, 135 minutes of brilliant football in in the last two games, and Mowat and Dean Garner have been phenomenal in that. Mowat just stands out. I mean he. He took his goal very well. Yes, he had a little bit of luck, although the the fact that he needed a bit of luck wasn't wasn't his fault. Again, one of the rare occurrences of John Swift actually um, not quite doing as he should and and selling Moat short with the with the pass. Um, but but it, I mean, Moat took it really really well, and we've seen before that Moat uh, finishes calmly in those positions. But beyond that. Two shots, one on target, which obviously was the goal. Two key passes. Um, uh, he won the most fouls of any West Bromwich Albion player. I thought the way he used his body was absolutely brilliant. He, but then he had one block, three clearances. You know, he had seventy-one touches of the ball, the most for a non uh, non centre back. He had sixteen touches in the attacking third, and uh, but then he also had uh, fourteen touches in the defensive third. Pete, he was the epitome of a box-to-box midfielder and when uh, um, as I say we went long from the goal kicks and and when the ball we weren't winning the first header on them but when the ball was dropping it was Alex Mowat who was getting in and around and calmly putting his foot on the ball and, and getting us going I thought Alex Mowat dictated that game for me I thought he ran that game from start to finish from the middle of the park I thought he was absolutely everywhere when we needed him to defend he defended when we needed him to attack he attacked i mean there's a lot of talk that he um that he, the last time he was playing for for albion he was playing through through a bit of a hernia problem in the, in the second half of the season well if you're telling me this is what a fully fit alex mowat looks like then i am all here for it because i tell you what in the last two games he has looked nothing short of fantastic he's really well rounded as a a central midfielder, I think he can, um, you know, he tackles, he presses really well and, and wins the ball high up. He's very calm on the ball and, and can play passes just around and, and keep the ball moving. But he can also pass it forward accurately. 
And yeah, picking up second balls is something that I think he's always been very good at. And I think it's probably one of the big reasons why Ishmael loved him so much because it was a lot of it was picking up second balls after after long balls. Um, but this time he's he's less um, spends less of the time just kind of going along after picking up the second ball. He can kind of just keep the ball and recycle it and and start another attack. Um, do, you think, so I think... do you think six months under Carrick has helped him a little bit? Because, you know, I mean, Middlesbrough like to play a technical brand of football. Playing playing Val ball for Carrick wouldn't 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 have washed. Um, but by the by the end of last season, he'd become quite an important player for Carrick. Yeah, it probably helps. And, and so does a pre-season and a couple of months in with, with Carlos Corbran as well. But there's, there's, well, there's still aspects of how we play now to that similar to how we played under Ishmael. Um, we saw the high press against Preston, um, very similar to, well, similar to Ishmael. And then also sometimes we do go long and, and like to move the ball long distances quickly, which was the same under Ishmael. So there's still parts to parts of what Moat's been asked to do um, that he used to do. Um, but I think he's probably got a bit more um, freedom to also to play um, you know, shorter passes, keep the ball on the, the floor a bit more and, and play it around that way, which is probably benefiting him. Um, but like I say, he's very well-rounded, so he seems to be able to to do basically every aspect of what you'd expect a central midfielder to be able to do. Last player that I just want to want to talk about specifically, Pete, because I mean, let, let's be fair about this. Just because we haven't mentioned somebody today doesn't mean we, we, we don't think they had a good game against Preston. I think it, it's important to say... I don't. I don't think you and I think there was a single bad performance out there. I, th- I think. I think we are very strongly of the of, of the opinion that that was about as complete a performance as we have seen from an Albion side. So don't think any omissions of mentions of people is any sort of negativity. We we just. It, it it would be quite a long and probably by the end maybe it wouldn't be boring but uh, it would it would certainly be a long pod if we if we went through every single member of the starting eleven and talked about them we've we've given it a go we've talked about quite a few of them but the last one that I just want to do a little bit of focus on just because he hadn't really played any football prior to the Millwall game and then he's come in and turned into brilliant performances is Carl Bartley uh, Mr Ballon d'Or himself and. I mean, as I said after on the last pod, I think again horses for courses. I think there will be games which suit Carl Bartley, and I think there will be there will be games that necessarily don't necessarily do, uh, suit him quite so well. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if if he didn't play against Sheffield Wednesday because I think we'll probably expect to see a bit more of the ball, and maybe he will want maybe he'll want a Jai's long passing back in there, assuming he's recovered and he's uh, and he's fit again, but. I think he's just been a, an unbelievable option for us and he's just he's just a I hate the phrase proper defender because it suggests that guys that don't um that, that that maybe do a bit more on the ball can't be proper defenders and that's because and that's really not that's not the case you can uh, Rio Ferdinand was a proper defender but he but, but he could play a bit um but he's just he just doesn't mess about, does he? He's just he 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 heads what he needs to head. He clears what he needs to clear, but he's so good at it. And that you know, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to deride him by 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 saying that the basics of defending are what Carl Bartley is really really good at. That's not that that's not like a backhanded compliment. I really don't mean it like that because 
I don't think winning headers, winning winning tackles, being strong in, in, into things, marshalling your defence, being a being a leader in the truest sense of the word. And I think that that aspect of Carl Bartley has been questioned in the past, but you know, I hear good things about him from around the training ground. I hear he's well liked and well respected, and um and and I I don't think there's any question in my mind that Carl Bartley is is a leader in the truest sense of the word. And I think he showed that in the last two games. He, you know, it would have been easy for Carl Bartley to sulk or just sit there and pick up his wages and see out the next twelve months of, uh, of 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 his career, and then just you know go and see if he can get one last contract somewhere else. He hasn't played a lot. He hasn't been a part of things. There was rumours that he was gone at, at one point this this summer window that he was that he was being released. Yet he stepped back into the fold in the last two games and just been absolutely fantastic. He won a hundred percent of his aerial duels against Preston. He is he has got to be one of the most reliable box defenders in this division. He is he is absolutely fantastic. But then I thought what really showed everything about Carl Bartley and his attitude was really chucking himself in there and showing that commitment that late in a game to get a fourth goal. Make no bones about it. Carl Bartley could have got hurt going into that challenge. He, it, it only takes the guy to to get there, try and get the block there a little bit late and suddenly he rolls over Bartley's shin or his ankle. That, that's the sort of situation where players quite regularly come away from it limping, where they go into a 50-50 and they get the ball first and the player doesn't get the ball, they get their leg. And it would have been easy to kind of back out of that one at 3-0 with, what was the two minutes to go? Two, three, four minutes to go, something like that. But Bartley was relentless. He was relentless as the rest of the side. And I, and when you when you look for leadership from your senior players, I thought that was embodied. And it, I think over the last two games, it's been embodied by, by Carl Bartley. And I've just been really, really impressed with him. Yeah, he did everything that you'd expect him to do well. Tends to keep it pretty simple when he's when he's playing and and that's what his his strengths are so um i think everyone's happier if he if he keeps it simple like people like your prey do the more of the stuff on the ball um and bartley's there to to tackle um head stuff away and and be what you yeah kind of what you'd expect from like what you might call a traditional center back so he did, he did that really well and and went and got the goal at the other end as well so um like you say it was a it wasn't an easy goal to go and get. He had to really put himself through the player to to go and score it and, and show the desire to go and get it, which is yeah, it's always good to see, especially in the last last few minutes when you're already three 0 up. Um, you know, he could have easily just you know let the Preston player clear that and deal with it. Um, we just still won the game comfortably. So um, yeah, on the, it was a pretty a very good performance from him. Um, it's another one that's come in going to the starting eleven and, and has performed and. You know, really proceed to claim to to keep that spot in the starting eleven, but there's plenty of players that are you know good enough and playing well enough to to get into it for the next game. And I think that's I think that's the important point where which we which we need to sort of finish on really, isn't it, Pete? That you know, obviously we're we're a few days away from uh, from from the Sheffield Wednesday game. I I, I personally I said that, I've said this a couple of times in this pod. I I don't think just because we won four nil away at Preston that there won't be changes for for the for the um, Sheffield Wednesday game in fact I'm almost certain there will be ch- I don't think it will be the same 11 by any uh, by any stretch of the imagination I think it will be two or three changes and that's not something that we should worry about I don't think fans should should lose their heads o- uh, over that at all because I think what we've shown over the last four games really because I think we've I think we've played well 
in each of the last four games. Okay, Preston is the only one where we've really put it together for a full 90 minutes, but I think we've done enough in each of the last four games to win them. And we've rotated the squad throughout that that period of time. And I think we've got good options in virtually every every area. You know, we, we haven't got a, a second naturalised striker option, but Jed Wallace has showed that in the right game with the right tactical setup around him that he can be extremely effective in that position. And then you look at all the other positions and there is somebody on the touchline chomping at the bit to come in and play ahead of them, whether it's whether any of the centre halves could miss out for 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 Ajayi or or Caleb Taylor. Um, left left wing back uh, Connor Townsend could come in and do very very well, just as he did against uh, against Millwall. Um, right wing back Matty Phillips could move across there, or Pippa could come in. We got a brief look at him uh, against uh, against Preston. Um, in central midfield, you've you, you've got last season's player of the year, Jason Malumbi, sat on the bench, clicking his heels, waiting for uh, waiting for an opportunity to to go out there. In the in the attacking areas, you've got uh, you, you've got Jeremy Sarmiento, who would who would happily step in for Swift or Dean Garner, and you know is is highly rated by 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 most West Bromwich Albion fans i mean i, I and i haven't mentioned chalaba but he came on and did and did quite quite well as well i know albion fans wouldn't be looking for nathaniel chalaba to be starting at any point but again he's he is an option and if he can it it was only a brief uh, foray back into the back into the side against preston but again if he can maintain those kind of levels then fair enough you know he he may be worth a start down the line and then up front you know you you start with Jed Wallace you've got Brandon Thomas Asante there chomping at the bit ready to go against Sheffield Wednesday if if called upon add to that the fact that you've got um you you've got DK and Maja to come back in in a few months time reach a little bit further back than that i mean again in this system i think as the, as the left wing back he's a real option and you, you look at it and you think Actually, Corbran can really rotate this side around, and as long as we don't have too many injuries, because I mean, I've kind of named one player to cover, kind of you know, two two covering centre halves for three positions. I've I've named one player in either fullback position. I've named one cent well, one central midfielder covering two positions, and then and then Chalaber. As I say, I'm not quite. He's the one at the moment. I'm not sure he's at the level to be starting games. Um, I've named one attacking player covering two positions, really, and um, and you know, one centre forward rotating around with Wallace. So we really can't afford many, if any, injuries. But whilst we have this squad available to us, Pete, I wouldn't fear Corbran rotating things around because I think the players that could come in for those who did so well against Preston are just so, so capable and will know the system because Corbran will have them well instructed. Yeah, which is obviously a really good problem to have as a manager. So, yeah, I think obviously there's a million things on going on off the pitch that are, are very negative and very miserable, but at the minute we seem to be a pretty good a pretty good place on the pitch. Um, so, 
Well, hopefully as well, there's positive movement off it, Pete, as well with the, with, with those uh, with those minutes suggesting that whilst nothing's close, things seem to be progressing off the pitch as well. So hopefully the uh, at some point in the near future, the news off the pitch will start to reflect what I think is really positive news on it. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Um, but at the minute, we can just enjoy some, some positive performances and, and hopefully they continue into the future as well for the next two games this week. Absolutely. And as Pete says, there are two games coming up this week. Uh, Albion facing Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday and then going to Birmingham on Friday night, as is always the case when we have uh, two games in such a short period of time, um, not not least because uh, we don't know where Pete's van will be parked at any given moment in time. <laughs> we, um, we, we, will, uh, we will just have uh, bundle the pod together and and do two pods sorry we'll do one pod for the two games um because you know have have a job i have a job unfortunately that i that i not unfortunately i love my job uh, but uh um, i have a job that i have uh, have to go to and it precludes me from doing pods every night as much as i love these conversations uh sat talking to uh, so talking to you pete but uh yeah we will be back after the Birmingham City game, obviously that's a Friday night game. So uh, the pod might be delivered a little bit earlier than than usual if uh, we can schedule the, the recording in. But until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.